You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive, and today we have a wonderful guest, Marcy Swenson. Welcome, Marcy. Thank you. Marcy is one of Healthicity's newest uh, subject matter experts. She has great expertise, both in healthcare compliance and some legal expertise, and we're really excited to get to know her a little bit better on today's podcast and talk a little bit about what we kind of crystal ball, if you will, and reading the tea leaves of what compliance might hold for 2018. Really glad you're here. Thank you. So, Marcy, what we usually do with a lot of our guests is we let them introduce themselves a little bit, and we'd like to learn a little bit more about you. If you'd tell us a little bit about maybe your professional experience and background and and some of the uh, compliance experience you've had, that would be great. Okay. Well, I started in healthcare in 2004, and uh, I started in the clinical side of things, which right. I guess is similar to you, CJ. Yeah, we, I guess we didn't like taking care of patients or something. I know. <laughs> I actually really love taking care of patients. But um, So I, um, I was a uh, registered nurse. I actually worked as an EMT, registered nurse, and then, of course, nurse manager, administrator. Um, and then I went back to law school. And so nice. I went to J. Reuben Clark Law School and received my JD there. So I'm um, licensed to practice in Utah. Okay. And um, and then after I graduated um, with my JD, uh, I started working for uh, Intermountain Healthcare, which is right. a large Western um, healthcare system with 22 hospitals, 200 physician clinics. Thousands of employees, right? I mean, yeah. Like, what, the 30,000? Oh, my goodness. Because, yeah. you know, I used to work for Intermountain as well, but yes. that was years ago. They didn't have that many employees at that time. Yeah. So 39,000 wow. employees. Um, and uh, simultaneously, I was commuting to Loyola University Chicago and completed yeah. my Master's of Law, or LLM, in healthcare law there. So I just did two more years and specialized in healthcare law. And they have, you know, and I'm not a lawyer, but I know a lot of people that specialize in healthcare law. That's one of the stronger programs in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it definitely is. And and there's not a lot of real LLM um, programs in just healthcare law. Um, and so, but they are ranked one of the top. Yeah. So it was a fabulous program. That's I loved great. it. Awesome. Well, neat. Um, and so let me ask you, so you, when you were an RN, you were, what kind of clinical areas were you involved in? So I worked in emergency department and then also ICU. Okay. Uh, those were my two primary areas. Um, while I attended law school, I also continued to work as a nurse. Oh, and great. I worked in a step-down unit. Okay. So... Um, Kind of an intermediate, not quite critical care, but um, just below that. Uh, I worked in a unit like that. So we okay. still had patients on ventilators. Um, we were doing, you know, vent weaning with them. They right. were long-term, more long-term critical patients. Okay. Well, great. And your recent 
experience with Intermountain Healthcare's compliance program. I, I, tell me a little bit about some of the areas that you were in, responsible for and you focused on, I think, rural hospitals a little yeah. bit and what other areas? So my responsibility shifted a little bit during the time that I was there, but I started out, they had uh, just decided to hire region compliance officers and I was hired into um, one of the first region compliance officer positions. And they really wanted to have a stronger compliance program in their rural hospitals and kind of bring that up to the inner mountain standard gotcha. as far as compliance. And so I took on that role. Um, no one had been in that position before. Mm-hmm. So um, it was very interesting. I was working with, um, you know, seven to nine hospital administrators okay. that, you know, had to get familiar with me and you have to build the, yes. the confidence in them and, and they have to, you know, you have to gain their trust to even start building a better um, culture of compliance right. there. Um, so we did that and then we also hired in compliance managers for each of those hospitals. Okay. And I, you know, over subsequent years, I trained them and and then they took over some of the initiatives that I first started with the rural region. So were they kind of the on-site compliance contact, if you will, because these are smaller hospitals? And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we tried to make them, um, you know, as much of an expert as possible. Sure. And so I have a year-long compliance um, director training that I took them through. Nice. And I developed that from my education at Loyola. Sure. And so, you know, it's reading assignments and lots of articles okay, and neat. writing assignments. And so we took them through that process to help them Great. Um, learn to be a better compliance Were they manager. full-time compliance managers? Was that their, or were they wearing a couple different hats? A couple of the small... hospitals were full-time, okay. but they most often with rural hospitals, they yeah. wear multiple hats. So usually they'd be like over quality risk management, and then also compliance. Yeah, you know, I think that is also consistent with a lot of our clients at Healthicity. We have some smaller hospitals, some some smaller physician practices. We have larger clients as well where there's full-time people. But it's it's a kind of a different approach you might take in compliance when you're wearing a different hat um, and, you know, the resources might not be there to have somebody full-time. Yeah. Well, and as you know, rural is as far as the government is concerned, any hospital that has a, less than 100 beds. Yeah. So that can be, that's a that's huge spread exactly. of, of Not necessarily rural out in the farm. If they have less yeah. than 100 beds, they could be in a suburb. Or even I mean, some people like, will say that's a medium-sized hospital. Exactly. Um, but they may still operate um, under rural additional funding and things okay. like that. And so, uh, and... So that's a really broad range. So, like I said, some had full-time, and then some of the compliance managers wore multiple hats. Well, great. Well, that is an interesting area of compliance, and maybe we'll have you as a guest again, and we can dive a little bit more into that on another day. Um, But today, I want to, you know, it's kind of the new year. It is the new year, and we thought we'd pick your brain a little bit on what you think um, the new year might hold in compliance. And um, I guess kind of the first question is, what do you think will be some of the hot topics in 2018, if you have any thoughts on that? So I would say um, the hot topics are going to be benchmarking and data breaches and cybersecurity. So um, with benchmarking, uh, you know, most everyone now is familiar with the guidance that the Office of Inspector General released last March. It's called Measuring Compliance Program Effectiveness, a resource guide. Right. 
And even though the OIG claims the guide isn't to become benchmarks, right? Um, the industry is going to utilize it Absolutely. that way because we haven't had those types of measures shared, at least published from the OIG previously. Maybe little bits and pieces, right? But not such a comprehensive guide. Yeah, this is the first time from the OIG we're getting. Yeah. You know this type of information that we can even start building benchmarks. Exactly. exactly. So I think that that's going to be a big focus. Okay. Um, and you know, based on that information, everybody who's read that knows. As you start reading through this, the next uh, through it, the next thing that comes to mind is how am I going to take this information and utilize it in my compliance program? Mm-hmm. And because as it sits, it's kind of a checklist, yes. but it's a checklist that every item doesn't necessarily apply, apply to every organization exactly. or every provider. Exactly. And so um, it's really difficult to take that information and then create something useful out of it. So I think that's also going to be part of the focus for 2018 and benchmarking is utilizing that OIG guidance mm-hmm. and creating assessment tools um, and benchmarks where organizations can start benchmarking themselves against other organizations. Yeah. Um, and also kind of reading their own program. How do I stack up? Exactly. Um, according to this guidance that the OIG released. Exactly. And so for those of you that might not be that familiar with it, um, you know, recall that that was released, uh, as Marcy said, in March last year at the HCCA's Compliance Institute. Uh, by the inspector general himself. Um, we then uh, at Healthicity, we did a webinar on it and kind of broke it down a little bit. So if, if that's something that you need to refresh your memory on, go back to our resources page on the website and, and you can uh, watch the recording of that webinar. Uh, but there's a lot of really good, it, it, the, the guidance is broken down by the seven elements. So these are actual measures that the OIG is recommending, look, you can measure this when it comes to communication. You know, one of those elements yeah. of the, this is a good idea policies to and procedures. Exactly. These are things that you can measure to say, eh, we're doing not so good or we're doing better. Because um, a lot, otherwise, we've, a lot of people in compliance feel things are so subjective. Mm-hmm. And so anytime we can measure things at least a little bit, it's still subjective a little bit, yes. but at least there's some things that you can look at. Exactly. Start reporting. Well, and I'm currently working on a tool that um, organizations will be able to use to measure and even produces a score at the end. Right. um, So uh, they can see from year to year if they're just comparing their own organization or soon they should be able to compare peers, um, similar organizations. Wouldn't that be great if some of those things, I know this is relatively new in the compliance world, but if it could progress to a place where those types of measures are shared. You know, in hospitals, you get quality measures that are being shared now, mm-hmm. right? Um, people complain about some of those measures, and, and I that those measures will always be a topic of debate. But as at they least should. as they should exactly, yes. but it'll at least it's moving us in the direction of kind of transparency and and talking about these issues. Yeah, exactly. So with compliance, you know, there's that extra little fear that I don't know if I really want to disclose this information exactly. about my compliance program or or how ineffective this component right. of my program is just because it does open you up to a little bit of risk. But I do think that, um, you know, new benchmarking tools, this one that I'm working on, will help organizations feel more comfortable because of the way it's equally categorized and equally scored among peers. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, great. 
So, you know, kind of in that um, context then, you know, if we're trying to be proactive as compliance officers and compliance professionals, what would you say, in your opinion, might be the single most important proactive compliance activity that should be a priority for compliance officers this year? On the proactive side, we all know that we put out fires all day and we're doing reactive, but proactive. Yeah. So proactive, I would definitely say risk assessments. Okay. So, um, you know, helping organizations, I'm surprised sometimes at how little amount of focus is placed on the risk assessment. Sure. And I feel like this is kind of the starting point for almost any proactive initiative or measure that, you know, you're going to put together. Um, so uh, overall, um, this should be the very top priority because it's the starting point. Exactly. How can you really determine what projects to work on if you haven't done a true risk assessment? Right. And why would you waste time on certain initiatives if they're really not or shouldn't be priority right. initiatives. Right. And so you do your risk assessment, prioritize your risks, and then you can decide, okay, these are the things yep. that we can work on. And when you do risk assessments, you may not be able to get to every single item on I'm, there. I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually, you know, because none of us has unlimited resources in compliance, right. right? And you can't spend your entire organization's budget on every potential risk out there. You have to prioritize. And, um, you know, it's all, I've always been of, my, of the mind that when I do my risk assessment, I always have way more risks listed than Definitely. I can possibly attack that year. And I, report, I usually report those risk assessment results in some sort of executive form to the board um, so that they can see, look, this is where we have resources and we can attack these areas. But everyone still know in the back of your mind, there are these other areas as well. We feel they're lower risk and less likely, but they could you know, pop up and invite us too. Yeah. Um, that, that way that, that they see that, look, you can't do everything. Because no compliance it. program is going to be perfect. Yep. So maybe when you're done, let's say that your risk assessment had 50 assessment categories. Um, maybe your organization can really only deal with 10 or right. five of those. But what I think it does is you're still identifying your highest risks. So right. you're putting your resources, Where you even can. if they're limited. Right. At to the most important places, and um, it shows that you're making progress and you're um, directing resources to the appropriate risk areas. Now, when you talk about risk assessments, you know, who else should be involved in that process? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm the compliance officer, I'll do the risk assessment and I'll be done. Yeah. I think that's kind of a closed-minded way to look at it. You should actually be, maybe that's where you start, but you're discussing these with key players and key leadership throughout the organization because it's the organization's risk assessment, not your personal. That's right. Yeah. So I so I should be doing a webinar on risk assessments coming up in the next couple months. Okay. Um, and so that will kind of cover the basics Good. of how to, to conduct a risk assessment. And it will go into that. It's, um, you know, the compliance officer or director already kind of knows sure. what they think the risks are. And so a risk assessment process should involve other leaders, um, clinical programs, um, various business units within the organization um, to get those individuals' perspective on what risk exactly. is. Exactly. Well, and also kind of buy-in because 
ultimately, like you were saying, you're going to set priorities and um, that needs to probably be a, a multifaceted decision as well. It's not just one person saying this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Additional benefits of conducting a risk assessment besides pointing you in the right direction. That's the basis for creating your work plan or your exactly. action plan for the year. Exactly. And um, and then you can show true improvement because you're actually mitigating the risk and, and you have a plan that's showing those steps. Exactly. Um, but also you can use your risk assessment um, to determine where your funds are going to be allocated. Mm-hmm. So if your compliance program has so many dollars allocated, then you know where to contribute, you know, those. Exactly. Um, also, maybe if you're lacking resources, a risk assessment can be a tool shared with senior leaders exactly. to get additional resources. If exactly. you have a huge risk, let's say, like I said, in cybersecurity, and you don't have a Anything lot of controls there, in place, right. then you can demonstrate through your risk assessment to senior leadership that, hey, we need to invest in this software or we need to do this, or we need a larger work group or experts, you know, in IT and exactly. IS to help us. Exactly. And I used it that way as well. To kind of say, look, um, I'm not trying to force you to spend more money here, but this it's a balancing act. And so it's making those decision makers aware of what those potential risks are. And these are, you know, business decisions oftentimes, right? You can't, right. can't solve everything. So um, maybe shifting gears a little bit now to kind of the pr- compliance professionals themselves. Um, you've seen a lot of compliance programs. You've worked with a lot of people that are in the compliance profession. You know, do you believe there might be one common pitfall that compliance professionals are falling into? And that might be something to focus on for 2018 to improve? Yeah, I think with all professions, there's ruts. Exactly. That, you know, no matter what kind of professional you are, there's a rep for you to fall into. <laughs> right. And so I think with um, compliance um, professionals, that is making sure you are um, taking proactive measures and actions and not just reactive. reactive. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, easy to get caught up in the day-to-day you know you you had 20 compliance reports yesterday you're investigating those determining what level of risk they are Um, you have certain reports that are due um, ongoing monitoring that maybe needs to be you know um, kept and suddenly all of your time's absorbed in reactive measures And so I think one of the hardest things is carving out time um, to take and create and design proactive measures. So I I would recommend doing um, work groups or if you're a larger larger organization, so you have various levels of um, compliance managers, directors, officers, Mm -hmm. maybe having a roundtable or something like that with those Mm -hmm. individuals to determine, um, you know, what the initiatives are going to be. And you can utilize, again, you know, things like risk assess your risk assessment right. to determine, hey, what should be, what's our initiatives for next year? Or you can even use these teams to decide what's our compliance education going to be next year? What's mm-hmm. the time frame we're rolling that out on? Mm-hmm. What are the key topics we want to hit? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that those, you know, if you have those um, solid meetings and committees, 
um, work groups in place. It kind of keeps people working on proactive measures, yeah. um, but also have some goals where and deadlines where you know certain um, initiatives must be you know Met. developed by the end of the year to exactly. go you know to start being worked on for the following year. Yeah, you know that's a so if what would you say is a kind of a good percentage like so if i'm your standard compliance professional or you have a department and you have x number of hours you know that that department can work on is it you know is it 50 50 you're doing 50 percent reactive you're doing 50 percent proactive is is there a good measure or that's really difficult too of course depending on your role as a compliance professional would depend on how much time you'd spend on Right, because some might be, they're all proactive, yeah. right? If you're an educator, you might be exactly. doing proactive education or, 80% of the time. Or your primary job is to manage the hotline. Right. You're like kind of in the incident investigation mode right. all the time, which is reactive. Um, so, but sometimes with your work groups, having the, the, um, involvement of those people, even if the majority of their job role is reactive, having those move into a work group to make proactive suggestions is great because they're right there on the front line and they know, Hey, this is an issue that's trending. Um, or, you know, I have calls like this all the time. Can we please have some education on this? So employees know how to handle this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, but that will help um, the proactive side. So that's really kind of a hard, the percentage. Yeah. Um, you're going to have more of a split or evenly, um, even distribution in like a, um, a higher compliance position mm-hmm. or a position with broader oversight. Yeah. Um, then I can see more of an even split in that. And it's going to adjust from time to time. Exactly. That's the other thing, you know, when you're talking about risk assessments, those will also adjust and your work plan might adjust. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may have said, okay, it's January 1st and, you know, we had our little retreat last week and we kind of came up with what we think we're going to work on this year. And that may be a good um, guide. But if next week you get a letter from the OIG saying we're <laughs> investigating the X, Y, and Z, exactly. you shift priorities and that's okay. Um, uh, so... Well, and, and you may, uh, that's why having deadlines and regular meetings is great because it that, that work continues forward on the proactive mm-hmm. side of things. But, you know, let's say you, um, you're in the middle of proactive measures for cybersecurity, which I mentioned as, you know, a hot topic for 2018. Um, and you have, um, you know, a malware attack. Right. And so you go into emergency response, you know, mode and all your time is absorbed because of the extremely high level of risk and, right. and, and, and po- possible um, sanctions and fines for something like that. And so yeah. at that time, a compliance officer, you know, might be spending 80% of their time exactly. on that because exactly. it's such a big issue. Exactly. So I do think that there's kind of a shift um, okay. throughout the year and then depending on the organization. Yeah. You know, you were mentioning on the proactive uh, concept about what's trending. How do you know what's trending? I mean, what are what are the resources you're looking at? What are you reading? What are you? Who are you listening to to kind of find what those proactive trends are? Yeah. So I think that there's two ways as a compliance professional that you can monitor for trends. One is. Uh, and this is probably compliance professionals' biggest worry mm-hmm. is new laws and regulations. Um, And people are are reporting on those. And then any information coming from um, 
administrate um, administrative agencies, CMS, um, OCR, so you're, so you're looking OIG. at bulletins and yeah. uh, kind of publications, yeah. like regular releases. Yeah. Well, who, who, you know, what are they looking into? What's their focus plan? Make sure you know what the OIG's work plan is. Exactly, which we just did a webinar on last uh, month. And, and so yeah. um, those types of things are really important. Yeah. So that's kind of one side is um, watching all of the information outlets. And then I think on the internal side, um, watching for internal trends okay. would be you need to have a really great compliance software. Uh, how, you know, you need to be watching you, the trends within your incident reports okay. and being able to refer those to legal or whatever it is so that those trends can be tracked. And it's and it's and I think an important part of that is categorizing those trends. So it's not just saying we have 10% more hotline calls this month. It's yep. being smart about how you're reporting incidents, for example. You know, you should have topics or categories. You should maybe have HIPAA privacy. You should have HIPAA security as another topic. You should have coding and billing. If yep. you're a large system, it might be inpatient coding and billing versus outpatient. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different ways to categorize these things to then kind of monitor a dashboard. Exactly. Yeah. So so then you can, you can really pinpoint, right. you know, where, where do we see trends? And then, therefore, you can make um, adjustments or add that to work plans mm -hmm. and make sure the controls are put in place. Or a lot of times, if it's internal, it's all about education and making right. sure your employees or your leaders understand how to handle a certain situation. Well, you had mentioned at the beginning as well that um, kind of those relationships are important. So it's one thing to have a communication avenue like a hotline. That's great. But as time went on, as I found when I was a compliance officer, as time went on, I got my best information from people that I had built relationships of trust with. Either I had delivered something to them that was useful to them, uh, and then they would come to me after a meeting or in the hallway. And that was better yep. than, you know, trying to monitor data. Yes. Because they're the frontline people. Yes. I, I think just being open to that and, and really conducting yourself as a compliance professional you know, um, in making sure that you're transparent. Obviously, we're all trying to be transparent, but even in your relationships and your, your lines of communication with other leaders within your organization. Well, good. Um, Marcy, we could talk all day, and we will talk all day because you sit next to me now. I'm so <laughs> yes. grateful that you're here, and um, we're out of time for today. But any last-minute thoughts or, or parting comments that you'd like to Put out there for good vibes for 2018? Well, I would say based on what the topics I talked about today, make sure if you haven't conducted a risk assessment for 2018, get on that promptly. Even if it's, um, you know, a, a shorter risk assessment and not yeah. a super detailed one, at least you're doing something. something. Right. And, and then um, roll that into a work plan for the year. Great. Well, thank you for those thoughts, and uh, thank you all for listening, um, and uh, we will talk again on our next podcast episode. Thank you.